name of the holy and undivided Trinity, one God. Amen. This is one of those Sundays where something about the text just captured my interest and I had to run with it. And I'm not talking about Matthew. First, I want to highlight that the passage from Hebrew scripture, from the book of Judges, is the only time a reading from the book of Judges appears in our three-year lectionary cycle. And this is fair. Sharon says, oh, and I got it. <laughs> That's right. And this is interesting to me because the, um, the narrative of Judges has a lot of moments where the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. But there's also this undercurrent of the voice of the judges who appear throughout the book and say, do this instead. This is how we can follow God and overcome our enemies. I also find it notable that this scene from Deborah's life and her tenure as a judge and prophet over Israel is what's included in the lectionary cycle. Out of all that's in Judges, we get Deborah. And we don't even get the entire story. But I think it's something we should hear. And I won't read it to you. I'll just give you the context, the highlights, because it's the rest of the book of Judges. Um, and so Deborah appears in chapters 4 and 5. And we actually know very little about her, just that she's a judge and a prophet, wife of Lapidoth, and that she sits under a palm tree. What an extravagant life she must lead. I imagine her palm tree at the edge of a desert oasis where she sits on a plush settee surrounded by a crew of hunky men and demure handmaids. Her servants who fan her with palm branches and feed her dates and refill her wine as she commands them. Pretty enviable, right? Throughout the day, people from the nearby villages flock to her to settle disputes over property boundaries and stolen sheep. And occasionally, she encounters someone who asks whether they should take this giant leap of faith and risk something big in their lives. And she hears them out, weighs the pros and the cons, and then gives her advice. And the people obviously trusted her. But there is risk and some glory found in the brief appearance of Deborah in the book of Judges. After the scene in today's lectionary text, Deborah relays this prophecy to Barak, and he replies, I will go into battle, as you instruct, but only with you by my side. 
the prophet going into battle. And Deborah agrees, but she makes it clear that Sisera, the commander of the army, will die at the hands of a woman. Well, now she has to go. Her prophecy to Barak leads the men of Naphtali and Zebulun into battle against the Canaanite army. The two armies rendezvous at Mount Tabor where the lands of Zebulun, Issachar, and Naphtali meet. The Canaanite army is defeated and scatters, and Sisera, their commander, escapes on foot. Sisera eventually ends up at the tent of Jael, wife of Heber the Kenite. She offers him sucker and milk. That's a euphemism. Only to drive a tent peg through his temple once he falls asleep. But with the Canaanite army defeated and Sisera dead, the Israelites enjoy peace in the lands for 40 years, until again they do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Barak makes a considerable risk by trusting Deborah and leading the Israelites into battle, leading thousands of men into a battle they could very easily lose. They don't have ironclad chariots. And Deborah risks a lot too. If Barak's army had failed, surely Sisera would have traced that assault back to Deborah and slaughtered her under her palm tree. And I imagine Deborah realized this risk, but she made her her decision to go forward in faith and hope. If she had played it safe and did not encourage the assault, she could suffer a harsher punishment, whether from the Canaanites or from God for whom she spoke. the gospel reading from Matthew also presents us with a similar story about risk. A wealthy man, who I imagine to be the biblical equivalent of Elon Musk, the wealthy man entrusts portions of his treasury to his servants while he makes a long journey. Perhaps he travels to Iran or India, securing some years-long trade route. And fearing losing all of this wealth while he's gone, he divides it between his three slaves. To one, he gives a large portion, to another, a medium portion, and to the third, a small, small portion. Matthew, in the Greek, describes these portions of his wealth as a talent. The singular talent was a unit of weight, 
measuring approximately 80 pounds. And so when we hear it used to describe money, we need to imagine 80 pounds of silver, 6,000 denarii. This would be 15 or 16 years of work for a day laborer. So if we get creative and adjust it to the federal minimum wage of 725, this is close to a quarter million dollars. Or if you live in San Francisco where the minimum wage is $18 an hour, one single talent would be worth almost $700,000. A nearly small, a small, nearly inconsequential fortune for Elon Musk, but life-changing for anyone else. And so he gives his best slave over a million dollars in silver for safekeeping. And the slave gambles with it in the marketplaces, invested in a small business, and purchases endless herds of sheep. The next slave takes his two talents and does likewise. The third slave stashes his share in a hole in the ground. He doesn't believe in risk. In this parable, I don't hear a good message about stewardship. Or, our, or using our resources in gambling. Instead, I hear Jesus asking us to risk our faith, to risk more of our lives for God so that we might have an abundance of blessings showered upon us. When we don't take risks, whether large or small, we miss out on some monumental things in life. When we bury our talent, we put our lamp under the metaphorical bushel basket. The earliest Christians took Jesus' suggestion in this story very seriously. Many of them got rid of everything they had and went to live in the desert. I don't know that we need to be that radical. But still, Jesus' message to us in this passage calls us to do something countercultural, to take significant risks, vast leaps of faith, to walk across that rickety suspension bridge made of fraying rope and gnarly wood, and not worry about that ugly, slimy, who knows what that's underneath. We're called to model ourselves after so many prophets through the ages. Prophets who come in different shapes and sizes and share different words with the people who need to hear them. And I think that some of us are prophets, even in our own small ways. Because when I think of prophets, I imagine the normal, ordinary people of life. Mary, the mother of God. 
the liberation theologian Gustavo Gutierrez, Martin Luther, Martin Luther King, Ida B. Wells, Nelson Mandela, Greta Thunberg, David Hogg, the survivor of the Parkland shooting who's now an anti-gun activist. These are all people who laid their lives on the line to fight for something that they could and would change the world. And some died for their cause. They risked the entirety of their convictions and values to affect some change in the world, some way of building up God's beloved community. Prophets in any age, even our own, guide us toward risk from making big decisions in our lives, standing up against injustice, fear, and prejudice, to speak out, to share our voice with those who need to hear what we have to say. And this is the important work that we are all called to do. We have to remember that prophets are not some relic of the past. There are plenty of prophets in the world today, those saints of God. And today, is when we really need to be challenged to step outside our comfort zone to take risks. And maybe we have to dig a little deeper to find those prophets, to recognize them as prophets, but they're still there. And when we hear their voices, that should inspire us to speak truth to power or challenge the norms and conventionality of the institutions of our world, not maintaining the status quo because it's comfortable or practical. Their voices should inspire us to better care for God's creation in ourselves, in others, and in the world around us. And sadly, there are still those false prophets who seek to divide us, to cast us into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, to separate us even further from God's desires for us. In this era of uncertainty, when we get so caught up in worry and doubt and fear. When we all stare at our phones for an hour watching Facebook Live because of an alleged shooting at the Hampton Inn, we lose our grip on faith and hope and love. We retreat into our caves and ignore the difficult parts of life. We bury and hide our talents and still, Jesus calls us to do something different, to be something different, to take risks, to stand up for something we believe in, to be a prophet. 
so as we sit under our own palm trees this week, I invite us to consider what words of truth Jesus needs us to speak into the world. Consider how you might share a message of faith and hope and love with someone who really needs to hear that. Because each of us has the ability to prophesy. Each of us has the ability to challenge the status quo. And I think that's what Jesus is always asking us to do.